Good morning. Oh my gosh, you guys are way more alive than the nine o'clock. And you braved the snow. Oh, wow. You did it. So sad. Look outside, that's considered snow. Anyhow, glad you're here. My name's Garrett. If we've never met, thanks for being here. Really excited to spend some time with you. I'm one of the pastors on staff. We're in the middle of a series called Sermon on the Mount often referred to as the most famous sermon Jesus ever gave. And we're kind of bouncing around in it. Um, Today, we are landing on something called the teaching of the law. And um, for the two of you that actually read the back of these cards that you get when you come in, poor Allison, she spends so much time. (laughs) Well, I heard you, Allison. (laughs) Spends so much time eloquently writing this and trying to be captivating. It says that we're going to talk about prayer today, but I'm calling an audible. We're going to talk about something different. Um, But here's what I do want to do. I do want to open up and spend a moment in prayer together because this has been yet again another crazy week in our nation. There's a lot of heaviness going around around the world in our hearts. I know the last couple days of this week as I was dropping my daughter off at school, I couldn't help but think about all the junk I was hearing on the news about what happened in Florida, which is just unfortunately the most recent example of, uh, of these terrible, terrible tragedies. And so I want to spend a moment praying for the families involved. I believe that our prayer does matter, that God listens to it, that he cares, that it influences him. And so um, I, do, I do want to pray, and I think, I think that's important. But I also believe... Spoiler alert, you came into a Christian church this morning. So I believe in the power of Jesus and the message of Jesus and that there is hope for humanity in him and in him alone. And so as we pray, I want to pray for the victims and the families of the victims, um, but I also want to pray for our souls, the soul of our nation, really. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we come to you with heavy, heavy hearts yet again. It's just... It's getting to the point of, it's not getting, it's beyond the point of just ridiculous, ludicrous, uh, this senseless violence that happens and um, these innocent kids that go to school, no parent should drop their kid off at school and have to worry about whether they'll see him again or not. And so we cry out to you, Abba, and ask for help. We, we pray on behalf of the family members and the friends who lost loved ones, please, please comfort them. Bring comfort to their hearts and their souls because in our minds we can't make any sense of it. For each of us here, help us to know how to respond to those that we might meet who um, are victims of this and even for ourselves as we try and make sense of it all. I know for myself there's a lot of fear that enters in um, as we take our own kids to school and worry whether they'll be the next story that we see on the news and we really don't know how to answer that. But... I do believe that you came to free us from our own predicament, the brokenness of our world, the pain and the craziness. And so I pray today, not only for comfort, but I pray that your spirit would move mightily through our hearts, through our lives, through our nation. Draw us back to your side and into right relationship with you, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I really do believe that Jesus is the answer to everything, and uh, 
If you don't hear the rest of the message, this is basically what I'm going to say for the next 20 minutes, that Jesus came to provide us something that we couldn't provide for ourselves. And um, today we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew chapter 5, where the Sermon on the Mount starts. And we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 20, or excuse me, 17 through 20, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. So if you want to look that up on your phone, if not, all the words will be on the screen. But I'm going to dive in and read this whole passage to you, and then we'll come back and, and uh, kind of take it piece by piece, all right? So Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it's titled, and some, some Bibles will be titled, Teaching About the Law. Others might say Fulfillment of the Law. Here we go. Do not think, and this is Jesus, by the way, this is Jesus' teaching. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear or stacks of chairs fall, not the smallest letter, not even the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who believes, uh, let's see, Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you the truth that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is going on here? Jesus is talking about the law and that he came not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. So what is the law? Um, generally, it's considered to be the entire Old Testament. God's Old Covenant, so the Bible's broken up in two parts, Old Testament, Old Covenant, and New Testament, New Covenant. So basically the Old Covenant that he had, uh, specifically with the nation of Israel, uh, this audience that was listening to it would have most likely heard it as the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and for us, the way we probably, you know, depending where you're at, you know, even if, if you're new to this church thing, or even if you don't do church hardly ever, we've, most of us have all heard of the Ten Commandments. So just think the Ten Commandments. Jesus is referring to this. And why did these exist in the first place? Why did God have this old covenant with his people in the first place? Here's the big theme of, of the day. Because God created us, on purpose and for a purpose. And that purpose was to live in relationship with us, to have a relationship with us. We, because of our sin nature, chose anti-God, went away from God, and caused separation between us. We are no longer in right standing with God. And so, for all of human history, God has been pursuing us, trying to get us back to the original state, the original plan he had, and the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the law, was given by God to provide a pathway back to him, okay? So this is the setting. God, Jesus knows his audience is deeply versed. They've, they've been taught all growing up about the law. He knows that, and he's coming to them and saying, I'm not here to abolish it. I'm here to fulfill it, this thing that God provided to draw you back to him. So we're going to look at this, and I'm going to pull out three major themes of this. The first one is this. The law is eternal. The law is eternal. Let's go back and take a closer look at Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus starts off saying, do not think. So clearly, right away, he's adjusting the way they think. 
He's trying to right-size expectations. Don't misunderstand. Don't misinterpret why I'm here. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what's this word abolish mean? Basically, eliminate or replace. He's saying, I didn't come to eliminate, to replace, to throw out, to get rid of the law. Why? Because the law's eternal. And by nature, you can't dismiss, you can't throw away, you can't set aside something that's eternal because by definition, it lasts forever. That makes sense, right? He says, no, I didn't come to do that. I came to fulfill it. So then the next logical question is, okay, so what is this contrast? What does it mean that he came to fulfill and what does fulfill mean? And that is a great question. That's the question to be asking right now. But uh, like any good marketing major, which I was in college, I'm gonna put a bookmark there and we'll come back to it a little bit later, all right? We'll just kind of leave you in the lurch. We'll talk about this word fulfillment and what it means in a minute. Let's go back to verse 18. Jesus continues, for truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. He's not embellishing, he's not exaggerating, but he's going to great lengths to emphasize not even the teeniest part of this doesn't matter or can be dismissed. Not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished until everything is accomplished because the law is eternal and I don't know about you guys I'm making an assumption here that you're much like me we kind of think we understand this thing of eternity like it sounds great to go to heaven and spend eternity there but the actual concept of eternity is really hard to wrap our head around like forever what does that mean we're born into space and time we have this dog her name is Ruby. She's this cute little Yorkshire Terrier. We, uh, we've had her for, she's 13 years old. Yeah, you see her oohs and ahs. And, uh, Ruby's 13. Tawny and I got her shortly after we got married. And when we went and picked her up from the breeder, the breeder said, hey, do you know anything about Yorkies? And we're like, eh, no, they're cute and fluffy and we like them. She's like, okay, that's great. Here's what you should know. They have infamously bad teeth and they will fairly quickly start rotting. And do you know what happens when the dog's teeth begin to rot? Yes, they get terrible breath. Terrible. Was that you, Nika, that said that? I think Nika works with my wife at our house and she experiences Ruby's breath on a regular basis. Maybe you should tell the story. So probably year three or so, we started to notice that Ruby's cute puppy breath began to change and it began to get really awful. And no matter what we did, we took her to the doggy dentist, we bought her those special bones that are supposed to help freshen breath, we changed her dog food, and her breath still smelt like death. <laughs> it really does, and she's this cute little thing, she's as cute as can be, but she smells terrible. We wake up in the morning, our room smells like Ruby's breath. We go to sleep at night and we try and keep Ruby out of our room so it doesn't smell like Ruby's breath. And then we wake up the next day and her breath still stinks. Day in and day out, you cannot avoid how bad it is. To the point where anyone that's been to our house, we will warn you, as soon as you come in the door, don't let her lick you. Your hand will stink the rest of the night. 
It's true. It's true. My friend Jeremy came over and he bent down to, to pet her and I gave him the same warning, dude, don't, your hand will stink for the rest of the night and probably for the rest of your life. <laughs> but he didn't heed my instruction. He bent down and pet her and she licked his hand and he stands and was like, whoa, I don't know if I should give your dog a breath mint or toilet paper. I said, exactly, that sums it up. And I don't know if there's gonna be dogs in heaven, but if there are, she will be the one dog whose breath still stinks. There is no getting rid of it. It is eternal, okay? So that's the best I could do with an eternal illustration. It's the best I could do. But this idea is really important because not just is it kind of funny to think of something that lingers on forever and ever, But the law being eternal is reflective of the nature of God because God himself is eternal. And if God is eternal and he provides a law, a covenant, which a covenant by definition is a binding legal contract, if he establishes that as an eternal being, It just makes sense that his contract, too, will be eternal and last forever. Sorry, I just, I got a little backwards here. So, okay, here we go. So, I wanted to share with you a couple other verses that speak to this eternal, unchanging characteristic of God. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 33, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. And I love this, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Another translation says, his intentions can never be shaken. So here's what I really want you to hear is that this is the nature of God. It is eternal, and it was part of his plan from the very beginning for us to live with him in right relationship. And he is gonna do whatever it takes to keep that plan in place. Does that make sense? And so he provides a path back to him, and in doing so, he can't undo it. And Jesus is saying, I'm not here to undo it. I'm here to fulfill it. But we've got a problem because we, as sinful and inherently, I know this doesn't sound good and we don't like to hear this, but selfish, inherently selfish people brings us to our second point. We've all, you and me, have all broken the law. So we're in a tight spot because the law is eternal. We've broken it. How in the world are we ever going to get back into right standing? Verse 19 says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments, and Jesus is saying, if you break just one piece, just one part, you in essence have broken them all. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness, 
means right standing, surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teacher of the law. If you know anything about these people, these were the most righteous people of their time in their culture. And if, if you're familiar with the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus, you know that they get a pretty bad rap. He lays into them pretty hard again and again and again and again. So if we can't even keep up to their standard, who even if we did, Jesus is saying, you're not even there. Basically, the picture he's painting is this is impossible. This is impossible. He's setting an insanely high bar. Your righteousness isn't even close to these people, and these people don't even have it right. We fall short of that right standing because we have all broken the law. I think many of us resonate with that and get that, that we don't like the sound of it. But there are some that have a tough time, especially if if church isn't your thing or maybe you're new to this and you're kind of kicking the tires of spirituality and Christianity, that you'd say, this whole sin thing and more inherently, you know, broken, sinful, bad people, um, is a stretch. And it's interesting, growing up when I was in high school, my mentor shared a story with me. Um, He was on a flight. And like often happens, the person he was sitting next to, he got into conversation with them. And they start talking about, what do you do? And what do you do? And my mentor tells him I'm a pastor, and they talk a little bit more about that. And ultimately, this guy that he was sitting next to said, hey, I don't really resonate with that, the whole sin, brokenness thing. I'm a good person. And so my mentor says, you're a good person. So do you not think that you ever mess up, screw up, you don't ever sin? And this guy said, no, I've never in my life sinned. And my mentor sits back and he's like, you're the one. Like I've never, I've been waiting to meet you. I've never, you know, I don't know if he said that. He was, he was still being nice to the guy. But he's like, really, you've never sinned? And the guy said, no, never. And being the, the smart and witty guy that he is, he said to this man, you must be so proud of yourself. And the guy kind of, yeah, yeah, I am. My mentor says, well, there you go. Your first sin, the sin of pride. <laughs> Mark ten eighteen says, why do you call me good? Again, this is Jesus speaking. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And again, I know we don't really like hearing we're inherently bad, so maybe I can help you and say we're inherently not good. Does that make it easier on our ears, you know? Inherently want our own stuff. And uh, have you ever, in your lifetime, seen a child, one, two, maybe three years old, learning how to talk, and heard them utter this word out of their mouth. Yours. Yours. You can have it. Why are we laughing? Anyone ever heard that? No? No. You've never heard that. No little kid ever says, yours, take it. I got it for you. It's mine. 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 That's why the seagulls in Finding Nemo Say, mine, 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 right? Because we all know it's true. From the second we're born, there's something inside us that wants our own little world. The world revolves around us. It's the way we are. We're inherently selfish, and we want mine, mine. 
And we say to that child, no child, that is not yours. That is actually mine. And the irony in that is so, so thick. (laughs) We know this, don't we? Deep inside of us, except maybe this one guy on the airplane. It's just something that's hardwired into our existence. And Jesus is saying, not only are you not at the level of these Pharisees, your righteousness, but then he goes on the rest of chapter five, if you're to read ahead, he goes on with this, this cadence that says, you have heard it said before, referring to the law that we're talking about. You have heard it said, but I say to you. So think of the 10 commandments. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, if you even have anger in your heart, you're guilty of murder. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Even looked at a man or a woman with lustful intent, you're guilty of adultery. What he is doing is saying, guys, this is worse than you think. You're hosed. You got a bad, bad problem here. We have all broken the law. For 1,500 years from when the law was given to when Jesus shows up, not one single person has been able to get it right and to accomplish it. But there's good news. This brings us to the best part of the story. What I said at the beginning, that I believe there is hope for us now and hope for all humanity. Because in the midst of all this, remember I said we were gonna put a bookmark in that word fulfill and come back to it? So now we're coming around full circle. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. The law is eternal. We've all broken it. But here is Jesus to fulfill it. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean check it off the box. I lived a good life. I didn't sin. Hooray, Jesus did it. The definition of the word fulfill is literally to fill full, to cram, to pack, to fill up to the brim till it's starting to spill over, to fully satisfy And if you're catching a theme here, this whole thing speaks to the nature of God. God is eternal. His law is eternal. But he is an abundant God. And throughout scripture, we see this time and time again. Throughout the life of Jesus, we see this. If you're familiar with the first miracle Jesus did where he was at a wedding and they ran out of wine. And he says, go and take those barrels and fill them to the top. That's what he says. Fill them to the top. And then he turns them into wine. Jesus says, I came to give you life, and not just life, but life abundantly, life to the fullest. Over and over and over again, this is the nature of God saying, I came to not just meet your need, but exceed your need, to fill you to the top. Jake and I were out at lunch a couple days ago. We went to Qdoba, and uh, I have been, so Tani and I, starting January 1st, decided to get on a new eating regiment. You may have heard it before. It's called the Whole30. Stands for a whole lot of nothing. So uh, then at the end of January, I transitioned over into mostly a paleo diet. And so we're at Qdoba, and I'm having my cute little taco salad, right? I basically got lettuce and chicken on top. And across the table is Jake, and he has a quesadilla that he is drenching in sour cream and eating. And I'm telling him, 
He, he's like, dude, what, are, are you sticking with this diet thing? Well, you know, I said, man, I'm feeling so much better. My body feels so much better. My energy is better. I feel like my mind is sharper. Everything feels better. But the funny thing is, I never feel satisfied. You know, like when I eat, it's like the, I just eat to live. I don't eat to enjoy it. And as he scoops the sour cream and puts it in his face, he kind of mumbles, oh, I don't have that problem. <laughs> yeah, I can see. Anyhow, anyhow, love you, Jake. But it reminded me as we were, as we were, you know, so we laughed about it. And it reminded me of this time when Tani and I were dating and we went to San Diego together. And we went to this restaurant called the Marine Room. And I've got a couple pictures that they'll put up here for you. This place is insane. Look at that. It sits on the water. Like you've been to restaurants that have a really beautiful view. This doesn't have a, just a beautiful view. It's like built into the water. At high tide, the waves crash up on the windows of the dining room. It's nuts. In fact, there's a picture of the inside. It's not a great picture, but you can kind of see. Yeah, isn't that nuts? And at nighttime, they have these floodlights at the bottom of the building that they turn on, and it illuminates the ocean. And so you're sitting there at the table uh, next to the window, and you can see fish swimming around. You can see sea stars. It is unbelievable. And it's not just a really cool venue. The food is second to none. So, you know, we're going for broke, right? This is a nice restaurant. I'm not going to tell you what it costs because I'm still paying it off. But you go to a place like that, you're not just going to order a salad, right? So I got surf and turf. Got lobster and steak because that just seemed right. And man, it was so good. It was so good. You ever had a meal like that where you just sit back and you rub your stomach like, oh my word, this is amazing. And so I had that experience and apparently I wasn't just having it in my mind, I was having it publicly. <laughs> if you've ever seen When Harry Met Sally, I think it was something like that where every, every bite I took... I would audibly groan and just, oh my God, this is so good. And at one point, Tawny kind of like leans into the table and she's like, should I leave you alone with your food? <laughs> I'm like, no, babe, I'll stop. I'm sorry, sorry, stay here. But that meal, it wasn't just the meal. It was the setting, the ambiance. I was with the girl I was falling in love with. Like the whole thing was the most satisfying experience. And where this falls short is the food only lasts so long. The experience only lasts so long. But I think it's a good picture to paint of how Jesus doesn't just come to satisfy. He comes to fully satisfy, to cram, to pack into our soul everything we needed and more, spilling over the top. 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 10, the Apostle Paul writes, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. The nature of God all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is a nature of abundance, of love, of pursuing you, pursuing me till the very, very end until everything is accomplished and fully satisfied. That's an incredible story. 
It's an incredible story. And you know, I'm ashamed to say this, but I'm saying it because I'm wondering if some of you resonate with it. As I prepared this week and as I wrote this message, I actually sat in my office at home yesterday and asked Tawny to come in and I was just kind of sharing with her the big idea. And I said, is it too basic? Everyone's heard this story before, you know? Like, I've got to think of a new and creative way. And, I, and then all of a sudden I got convicted. I got ashamed. Since when did this story get basic? When did it grow old? When do I need to worry about putting a good spin on the greatest story ever told. The story tells itself. And so, for those of us who are times, my hope and my prayer is that the power of Christ can come into us and open us up and shine new, fresh light on a story we once knew and loved. Because sometimes we just know it, but we don't love it. Listen to this. This blows my mind. The creativity and the faithfulness of God. So we've gone through, we've talked about the law, what it was, right? It was established by God for the people, for us, to draw us back into right relationship with him. Like God is eternal, so the law is eternal. We've broken the law. We're having a tough time getting back into right standing with him. So he introduces Jesus, and Jesus fulfills the law. Like any good preacher, I got a three-part sermon, all right? There it is. But check this out. God has been working in us and for us from the very beginning because as he's talking about the law, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are commonly understood to be divided into two parts. The first five parts are about our relationship with God, our vertical relationship with God. Love the Lord your God, have no other gods before me, do not take my name in vain, right? The fifth one, honor your mother and father, which you're like, well, that's not vertical but if you know jewish custom and culture it is because the jewish parents are the physical tangible tie representation to the child of god the father so in jewish society they know number five as a vertical relationship with god the second five commandments are our horizontal relationship with one another so the two greatest commandments jesus summarizes love the lord your god and love your neighbors yourself. From the very beginning, guys, God's tying this stuff together. Do you know, so five, right? Divide in half, five and five, the 10 commandments, five and five. Do you know the significance of the number five in scripture? The number five in scripture stands for grace. Grace upon grace. Does that blow your mind? from the very beginning as God is working to draw his people back. Grace in our relationship with him and grace in our relationship with one another. He knew that they were both broken and he had grace on us. John 1.16 says this, out of the fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What was the grace already given? The audience back then knew that it was God's great grace that provided them the law, that provided them the pathway. And so he's saying to them here, out of his fullness, we've all received Jesus, grace on top of grace already given. That is incredible. That is how much God loves us, that he's weaving this into the story from the very, very, very beginning. So the big 
picture here, the ultimate part of this story, is not that Jesus just fulfills the law, even though that's more than enough. In doing so, Jesus fully fulfills us, fully satisfies us. And if you're here today, and you don't know about this whole Christianity thing and this whole Jesus thing, but as a result of what you've been hearing and and now your time spent here, you're beginning to go, this is an incredible story of a, a God that isn't vindictive and about rules. The Old Testament wasn't just about rules and do this and do that. The Old Testament and the, the Ten Commandments was actually about love and grace and how to provide a pathway for people back to him. You're hearing it in a new way. And this Jesus guy, this incredible love story, I might be interested in it. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray in a moment and, uh, and I hope that you will pray with me, not out loud, I won't freak you out or do anything weird but that you would pray and make a decision here today that this is the guy, this is the teacher, this is the rabbi that you want to follow for the rest of your life. And for many of us in the room who at some point in time in our life had put that stake in the ground and have decided to follow Jesus, but the story's worn off a little bit. It's tarnished a little bit. That freshness and that newness um, has gone in the pain and the brokenness of the world is all around us and we're inundated by it. Jesus doesn't provide us an easy path and a painless life, but he does promise that in the midst of the crap, we can be completely satisfied. That's quite a crazy thing, and yet he promises it to be true. So if you're here and you at some point in time have said that you are, follow Jesus with your life, but have gotten to a place where it just doesn't feel like that anymore. I want you to pray with me as well. And I'm gonna pray that that power of God's spirit, because here's, here's what happened. Jesus comes, he fulfills the law, and for it, he is murdered. But he doesn't stay dead because he's a God of abundance And so he overcomes the power, the grip that death has on 100% of humanity. He overcomes that and he raises from the dead and walks alive again. And he tells us that that same resurrected spirit, the same power of that spirit, if we choose to follow him, will supernaturally be imparted into us and that we will have that same power over death and walk in a newness of life. It is crazy. It sounds like a comic book a little bit, but make no mistake, it is as real as real gets. I've experienced it in my life for many, many, many years. And so, Christians in the room, I'm telling you, this story does not ever grow old. And his spirit does not ever waver. He never loses power. He never has to go back to the outlet and recharge. It is there for us day in and day out because he is eternal. And he came to fully satisfy us. That, my friends, is what we call the gospel, the good news, the great news. And I hope, I hope, as you leave here today, even though we live in a crazy world, that there's something in the deepest part of your soul that can find satisfaction. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, you are so good. 
it's just incredible to look back over a hall of history and all of these writings to see that there's a theme throughout all of it and that is your love and your pursuit of us individually, not just humanity, but us. You know each of us and love each of us and created us to be with you. And when we couldn't get back to you on our own, you sent your one and only son to find us, to grab us, and to bring us back to heaven with him. If we would just say yes and grab his hand and let, us, let him lead us back. And so for those who are here today who have not before made a decision to follow Jesus as their leader, as their guide, as their God, we pray for them. As they pray along with me right now, we simply pray, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in your teachings and that you provide a better way of life for me. And though I don't understand it, hardly at all, I believe it and I want to dive into learning more about it. Will you fill my heart with that resurrected spirit? And for those of us who are here who prayed that prayer at some point in the past, but have grown tired, have grown weary, Father, we pray for your resurrected spirit to fall fresh on us now. Fill us in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the garbage. May we not let our feelings dictate truth. Thank you for the Bible, for revealing yourself to us in this way, this book of hope and love. It is amazing love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.